Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Recently, I had a very short conversation with one of the Congolese leaders of the Bible studies that I teach on Sunday nights here. He's usually the first to show up. He comes to help set up the upstairs classroom before going out to pick up some of the younger participants in the Bible study. One day, as we were setting up, he asked me about the difference between the Lutheran Church and the Catholic Church. Now, this was just about five minutes before he had to leave go get the other participants. So I had to give him a very quick answer. He seems to have understood, although I'm certain he asked many, many more questions. And hopefully, we will have many more conversations about the differences and similarities. I'm sure many of you have been asked questions about the Lutheran Church before. Maybe people still ask you. It will be interesting to know what your answers are. Sometimes you may be asked specifically about the difference between the Lutheran Church and the Catholic Church as a young Congolese leader asked me, or more generally, the difference between the Lutheran Church and other churches. Many people who ask this question are neither new Lutherans nor Roman Catholics, but somehow they see a connection between the two denominations. Young Congolese who asked me the question has some connection with Christ Memorial Lutheran Church. So I assumed he went to church there. He had figured that because we wear white robes and stoles and, and crosses, we might be the same in every way or very similar to the Roman Catholic Church. Within that short period of time before he had to leave, I explained to him that what he knows as the Catholic Church is actually the Roman Catholic Church. I also explained that the word Catholic means universal, and that Christianity was once only one church when it started, and it remained so for 1,500 years. I shared with him how the break came about as a result of Martin Luther questioning the abuses in the church, especially the question of indulgences. Buying indulgences was paying your way out of purgatory, which, by the way, was really a human invention, not biblical. I also explained to him how, after a while, others thought that what Martin Luther had done was not enough. And so they came up with more and more things to change. And the church kept dividing and dividing, and now we have over 200 denominations in America and over 45,000 in the world. Stunning. The young Congolese himself is Pentecostal, and he's very interested in studying the Bible. So I don't know if anything will change for him, but we are studying the Bible. And as a result, he may come to understand more and more why what you believe about God is best taken from the Bible, God's very word to you and the world. I also explained to him how Martin Luther did not want his name to be used as a name of a church. It was being used as a mockery, but he finally allowed it to be used because he thought that by using it, people might remember that that name is reflective of the most important teaching of the Bible. What is that most important teaching about? It is about freedom. 
Of course, freedom can be a slippery word, meaning different things to, to different people. For many people, it means not being dominated by others. If people dominate you, they can do whatever they want with you, and you have no say and no recourse. It is a terrible thing to happen to anybody, but it still does happen in this world. People may sometimes be powerless to do anything about it for a long time, but eventually it does happen, and people can break free of their oppressors. That is what has happened all over the world. Even though on occasion it still rears its head up in some parts of the world where the military takes over in a military coup, or some powerful dictator comes to power and does everything they can to remain in power. They imprison people, they torture people, they kill people. And people once again lose their freedom. But they will struggle again and resist to the best of their ability until they become free again. Freedom is a good thing. It is precious. At the time of Jesus, the Romans had control over Jerusalem. So the Jews were not completely free, as they seemed to claim in their argument with Jesus. And when they said they had never been slaves to anyone, that leaves you scratching your head. Hadn't their ancestors, after Abraham, been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years? And all Jesus had said to them was, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they became upset. These were not people who were hearing him for the first time. These were the Jews who had believed in him. Jesus replied to them, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. They should have known that. Everyone sins, whether they agree with it or not. Everyone sins, whether they know it or not. Everyone sins, whether they mean to or not. It is in our nature. We all, without exception, are sinful people. Now, the things that you think or do or say that are sinful may not be the same as what I think or do or say that are sinful. Jesus says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Another way of translating what he said is, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. What does it mean to practice sin? It means those who sin and do not repent, even when they realize they are sinning or their sin is pointed out to them. Sin may not feel like a burden to them anymore. In that case, sin may in fact be dominating you. Even if you don't say, I can't help myself, God made me the way I am, because the Bible says God created me, you're still not off the hook. Sometimes people imply, if I'm acting the way I've been made, it cannot be bad. If God has given me emotions and I sometimes snap at people, it cannot be wrong. If I've earned a reputation for doing that, it's still not sinful. That's a slavish attitude. We can come up with all kinds of reasons to justify why we did or still do certain things. But regardless of whatever reasons or excuses you come up with, you are still not off the hook. What God says is sin is sin. Nobody is immune from it. Jesus keeps away.
he reveals. He reveals what is true about us. That may make us feel uncomfortable, maybe even embarrassed that we are exposed before him. But that is to make us not rely on ourselves, but on him. What is hidden, he brings out, and then he removes. What is in you, that manifests in sin, he takes upon himself so that you don't have to carry it anymore. He takes it away by his word, the gospel. And what he removes, he does not bring back. That is the truth. Jesus is the truth that sets free. These folks have become self-centered, relying on what is created, even if the person they were relying on was a faithful believer like Abraham was. Now, on the basis of what someone says, a relationship can be broken, not necessarily because what was said was not true, but in fact because it was true. What Jesus said to those who had believed in him was true. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So it is quite perplexing that they should respond the way they did, given that John says they had believed in Jesus. It makes you wonder if they had truly believed in him. And if they had believed in him, what was the nature of their belief? Was it about all the miracles he was performing? Was it about the crowds he was pulling? Was it just about being part of something attractive that had no real effect on their lives? All Jesus had said to them was, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But that just hit a nerve when it really shouldn't have. Except maybe deep inside, they knew the truth, that they had not really believed in him. Sometimes John uses the word believe in that way. He even does it with the apostles themselves, including himself. As the conversation went on, it became apparent that instead of having true faith in Jesus, they had all along been thinking that Jesus was simply a descendant of Abraham who had been given some special gifts, some special powers. But he was subordinate to Abraham. Abraham was their man, and nobody can replace him, not even Jesus. The problem was that Abraham did not rely on himself or another fellow human being, but on the word of God, on the promises of God. Nothing else. The Bible says that Abraham believed God, and God counted that to him as righteousness. Those who had believed in Jesus were not holding to his teaching, and he knew that. They might have thought they were, but their reaction showed that they had made the wrong assumptions about what Jesus was actually teaching. And now that Jesus had called them on it, they were really annoyed. Clearly, the people Jesus was talking to did not want to be slaves to anybody. We wholeheartedly agree with them. We don't want to be slaves either. And there's the one who really counts, who doesn't want us to be slaves of sin either. The only way to be truly free it's not to fight to be free, but to receive the freedom from sin given by Jesus Christ. That is true freedom, the better freedom. It is the message of the Reformation. You can't rely on another person's faith for your salvation, that is eternal life, but you can and must rely 
on Jesus Christ, the one who gives true freedom, the freedom that will last forever. And if, as is certainly the case, you continue to be a sinner, let what Jesus said and offers be what you rely on. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The one who remains a slave to sin, that is the one who does not rely on Jesus Christ for forgiveness, has no permanent place in God's family. But the one whose sins are forgiven has a permanent place. The joy of the Reformation was not that Martin Luther was such a great human being, flawless, who had given himself as a sacrifice for anybody. He was a sinner, just like you and me. He struggled mightily about how he could please God with his life. He did everything he could, praying, fasting, studying the Bible, and he still could not find peace. For a long time, he could not see that because of Jesus Christ, he had peace with God. It was all right there in front of him, and he could not even see it. When he finally discovered what was right there in front of him all along, he could not keep it to himself. He worked tirelessly to make sure that this great good news that God has already been unconditionally kind to us through Jesus Christ might be made known to all. To rediscover the truth that sets free and to share it freely because it is free is Luther's greatest gift. Unbelievably, 500 years on, people are leaning heavily on themselves, looking inside on themselves, as, as is promoted by people who themselves are not even believers in Jesus Christ to see if they are free. The real truth is outside of ourselves, in the one without whom nothing was made that has been made. The one who, because of his love for the world, his love for you, did not just stay in heaven and watch you struggle for what he alone can provide, but he came down to relieve you of that burden. And he has spoken clearly about the issue. God, he actually did something about it. He lived perfectly the life God desires for you and I. And he willingly gave himself into the hands of sinful men. And he was crucified for you. He took your place in his life and death. What you and I deserve is that he deserved it. And he paid the ultimate price. He rose again from the dead. Full proof that what he came to do is accomplished and is perfect. He is the truth that sets you free. No matter what things you go through, big sins, little sins. He takes them all away from you. He did not come to condemn you. He came to set you free. He has made you free indeed, children of God. Amen.